Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another week of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. It's 7 a.m. and we are together. So let's begin our week in prayer. We begin our day in prayer. Let's just give it all, all to God this morning. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God, Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of all the Americas and of the unborn. Pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've got some wonderful things in store for you this morning on Roadmap to Heaven. It's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, a youth-focused show today. Not necessarily, but there's going to be some flavors. That's probably a better way to put it. There'll be a little youth flavor to the show today. Uh, Last week, I had the opportunity to go to Generation Life, hosted by the Archdiocese of St. Louis. It was a wonderful uh, morning. They were there all day. I, I only was able to spend the morning with them. Uh, a thousand young people gathered at the uh, Chaffetz Arena at St. Louis University. They had speakers. They had mass. A wonderful homily by Archbishop Rosansky on uh, how this isn't the time to ease up on our efforts to be pro-life. But there is so much we can do, most especially in supporting mothers in need. Uh, but what a wonderful day with them. I was able to sit down with the keynote speaker, Krista Corbello. We're going to have that conversation with you today. And, you know, when we talk about youth and we talk about young adults and we talk about even our children, and one of the things that we have to make sure we're doing is helping them to see the world as it really is. And that's through the lens of our faith, not through the lens of the latest TV show or tabloid or website or whatever it may be, but to see what God has intended, where we're at, and how we're doing. And so Steve Wood and I are going to have the opportunity to sit down and start a conversation on that. We've uh, made arrangements to have several conversations about worldview and the, you know, the importance of worldview. Well, I'll let Steve tell you more about that later on. For our radio listeners, we do have some words for you today on parenting from Father Chad Ripiger, as well as some words for us today from Father Schumacher. All of that and more on Roadmap to Heaven today. But uh, I had an email this morning from Mike Roberts, and it, it, you know it, when Mike sends the text version of his forecast, you know we're in for some weather. So I'm going to turn it over to Mike now. Uh, pay attention. You want to know this today. This is a day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. The Lord leads us to himself through babies, and Satan is always trying to end their lives. When Pharaoh orders all newborn Hebrew males to be thrown into the Nile as his method of population control, his parents have Moses placed in a waterproof basket and set in the tall grasses of the river, whereas his sister Miriam watches is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses will, of course, lead the Jews out of Egypt. Jesus, of course, will lead us to heaven, but he comes to us as a baby while Herod slaughters all the baby boys in Bethlehem to prevent Jesus' birth. Matthew tells us this heartbreaking story, and also that Jesus warns us never to hurt a child. The Blessed Mother so many times brings messages into the world through children or those who have a childlike faith. Today, as we pray for an end to Satan's most successful war on babies, we have several passages of Scripture suggested to us, including this from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, 
Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, their angels in heaven always look upon the face of my heavenly Father. So here is a prayer passed down to us from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you very much. I beg you to protect the unborn baby that I have spiritually adopted. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. A Prayer to Redeem Lost Time by St. Teresa of Avila O oh my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. Here is our catechiz question for you today. We were just hearing a wonderful homily on love and St. John. What are the three types of love in the scriptures? And in particular, uh, you might be going around Corinthians to be looking for these, but the three types of love, I'll give you their Greek names. We have eros, philos, and agape. Most easily understood as this, eros, physical love or the the marital bond. Uh, Philos means warm affection or friendship. So that love you have for your best friend or uh, your sister or your brother or, you know, you know what I'm talking about there. And then agape, the sacrificial, unconditional love of God. It's one of those things that when we get into the ancient languages, we kind of... uh, see how some of our words leave us short when we say, I love you. What, what, well, what kind of love are you talking about here? There's three that we find in the scripture. By the way, Philadelphia, if you break down the ancient Greek groups of that, you, we've often heard of Philadelphia as the city of brotherly love. Well, that's because phila or philio, I love you, as we just heard, that philo type of love, and adelphos, brotherly, sisterly. So philadelphia, uh, brotherly or sisterly love. There you have it. You learned something new. Uh, maybe you already knew that today. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. And when we come back, Steve Wood's going to be with us, and we're going to be talking about worldview. Don't go anywhere. The B1 Prayer. Eternal Father, at the Last Supper, your son prayed that all who bear his name might be one. Send the Holy Spirit upon us to make us one in Christ. Strengthen our faith in you. Lead us to love one another. Unite our service to our brothers and sisters, and join us together as we build your church in our midst. Take away divisions that hinder our unity in Christ, so we may, with one mind and voice, as members of one body, praise and glorify you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We always enjoy the chance to speak with Steve Wood. You may be familiar with Steve. We broadcast him every week here on Covenant Network with Faith and Family Radio. And Steve, it's good to talk to you today. Good to talk with you, Adam, and I'm glad to be back with your listeners again. I understand that for our next series of conversations here, you have seven questions for us about worldview and and how we look at the world. You know, it, it never fails to amaze me how you can ask seven different people 
what's going on in the world, and they'll give you seven different answers about the exact same thing. And uh, we know that there is objective truth, so we need to look at this from the the standpoint of our Catholic faith. But I'm ready to just kind of turn it over to you and say, what are these questions that we should be asking ourselves, and more importantly, how do we answer them? Well, let me even get to a question behind my worldview questions. And this is, if there's any parents or grandparents or youth leaders listening, to me, this is the question of our decade. How do we prevent this washout when you're talking about the majority of youth are just quitting their faith? And it relates to worldview, and we can't simply do what we're doing and expect a different result. Um, And if I can tell a short story from C.S. Lewis, he heard people in England were complaining that the modern world was becoming like paganism. And Lewis raised some eyebrows when he said, oh, would that they were pagans. And what he meant was that pagans had a worldview, and it was, they had certain things were right and wrong. Now, it may have been the wrong things, but at least they had a worldview. And what Lewis was trying to say, would that we could make them good pagans, and then we could make them Christians. We're trying to make Christians without giving them a worldview. To me, this is a missing puzzle in youth ministry and childhood spiritual formation. I'm just going to raise some eyebrows here. The Knights of Columbus survey of Catholic millennials, that's the 18 to 29-year-olds, 63% of Catholic millennials think same-sex marriage is fine, uh, and that sex between unmarried people, about 80% think that's fine. Now, what happens is that if you teach Christian morality to young people without a Christian worldview, they look at the morality, it's like wearing a pair of glasses, but the lenses are non-Christian lenses, and so they just don't get it. But here's, to me, the most dramatic turnaround, potentially, you could have in youth ministry, and this is from George Barna, and the differences that a worldview makes. I just mentioned that sex between unmarried is okay, 80%. Yet, if you have a Christian worldview, the views of acceptable moral behavior regarding cohabitation becomes 31 times less if they have a worldview. There isn't a chastity seminar, speaker, book, or CD, or anything program that can do this. 31-time reduction in actual behavior. Uh, Young people are three times less to get drunk, two times less to view porn, and it's simply teaching a worldview, but we're assuming that they have one, but that parents, you grew up a generation ago, obviously, and you assume your teenager thinks and views the world like you do. And yet, if they have a secular worldview that they basically uh, adopted through media, social media, TV, friends, whatever, uh, there's a book called The Universe Next Door, that you could have a teenager living in your home, and yet, regarding their views of all things, including truth and behavior and morality, 
could be a universal way. And that explains why some people just scratch your head. I just don't get, I just don't get this. Well, it's worldview. And so a lot of experts make this one of the most complicated subjects imaginable. And if you make it too complicated and make it a 500-page book on philosophy, people aren't going to get it. And I tried to take worldview and boil it down and got it down to seven questions. And if you could teach yourself and your children the answers to these seven questions, you've got it. You've got a Christian worldview. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. The first three questions I'm grouping into the uh, who am I type of question. Question number one, where do I come from? In other words, what's, what's my origin? Question number two, where am I going? And particularly, what happens after I die? And number three, why am I here? What's my purpose and meaning in my life? The next two questions, questions four and five, are how do I know type of question. And number four is what is truth? Number five, how do I know right from wrong? In other words, where's my compass for moral decision-making? Finally, there's redemption questions. And number six is what's wrong with the world and what's the solution? And number seven, what's really happening in our world? And those seven questions are basically the gist of what a worldview is, if you can answer those. A worldview, for so many, is something just very unconscious, and it's yet something that shapes uh, your thoughts, your views on all different types of things. And the good news for parents is that worldview is often caught much more effectively than just taught. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to teach verbally worldview, but as you begin to live it, like there's a moral order to the universe, and children begin to grasp this before they begin school. And now they're graduating from even religious high schools and colleges, and they don't get this, and they're living that life of a universe next door rather than a Christian life. Well, Steve, you know, I'm doing some quick math in my head here as we we talk about why this is important. And you said, you know, just to go back to some of those numbers, 80% think that impermissible things are permissible. But when you give them the Christian worldview, when we explain why we look at it the way we do and and why we believe what we believe, a 31-time reduction, if I did the math right, takes us down from about 80% to about 2% approving of things that are immoral. And so the stakes are pretty high on this one, and I'm glad we're going to be talking about it. Unfortunately, we're out of time today, but friends, fear not, because we're going to be joined by Steve Wood several times in the coming weeks to look at these seven questions on how to convey worldview and why it's essential for the formation of our youth, and dare I say, for ourselves. Uh, Until next time, Steve, I can't wait to uh, dive into these questions. Okay, well, I'll be glad to join with you and your listeners again. Thanks, Adam. A most commendable indulgenced prayer to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, shower copiously thy blessings on thy holy church, on the Supreme Pontiff, 
and on all the clergy. Grant perseverance to the just, convert sinners, enlighten infidels, bless our parents, friends, and benefactors, assist the dying, liberate the souls of purgatory, and extend over all hearts the sweet empire of thy love. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, most kind, bless us now and in death's agony. From a sudden and unprovided death, deliver us, O Lord. We're happy to be on the road at Chaffetz Arena for the Generation Life STL event on this Friday. Now, this broadcast, of course, is coming to you on Monday. But we're talking with Krista Corbello, who just gave a beautiful keynote talk on her pro-life witness. Krista, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. So since our listeners, majority of which uh, were not at Generation Life, you've got a very interesting story about your experience in pro-life, particularly with abortion. I mean, for you, this is a family thing, but it's not the typical witness that I've grown accustomed to hearing at events like this. Sure, yeah. And I think a lot of people aren't talking about the fact that abortion doesn't just affect people who had abortions, but it affects the whole family. You know, we're integrated beings. And I have a sibling who died by abortion that I found out about later in my 20s. And um, really, I've researched what, what that means and what that looks like for a sibling. Now, you said in your talk you spent many years working in the pro-life movement, and when you found that out, it was later in life that you found out, um, that it really affected you in a deep way, I mean, to the point that you had to step back. Could you tell us a little about that? Sure, yeah. So I was giving uh, pro-life presentations, educational, secular, talking about the biology, philosophy, the medical, um, and the statistical, really, is all what I was talking about. And so I knew the numbers. I knew how grave this issue was. I knew how vast it was in America. And particularly in L.A., where I was born, Um, I mean, the height of abortion was in the 90s when I was born, about over a million every year. And uh, when I found out that I had a sibling who died by abortion, in the same circumstance that I was born into, and my mom chose life for me, um, because it was my biological father who had the abortion with another woman, that really affected me because... It made me realize this was my story. My sibling had the same story, but they died and I lived. And so there was a sense of survivor's guilt, um, existential doom. These are all words that I didn't find out later until I uh, researched it, um, getting my master's in psychology. But um, it was very painful. Yeah, it was very painful to to know the truth about it. The way I kind of described it later um, after reflection and healing is like, if you have a sibling who died in a car crash and you gave you know, hundreds of talks about car crashes and then found out somehow about your sibling who died in a car crash, it would, it would be kind of traumatic. I mean, it's like re-traumatizing yourself and, um, yeah, it's painful. And so I just needed to grieve and step away and, um, not give it so many talks every year. Right. But then at a certain point, grace kicks in, uh, healing begins, you're back out here giving talks. And I I love the, the way you talked about grace in your talk, particularly again, the, uh, the reality of unplanned pregnancy comes into your family and it's almost as if you've been prepared your entire life of advocacy for this moment. Yeah, definitely. When my sister was pregnant um, as a 19 year old, a freshman in college, it was definitely, I could feel in my own heart, the tension of, you know, I I previously always wanted her to be like me and um, religious and in the pro-life movement and things like that. And she was still in the pro-life movement in her own way because she chose life for my little goddaughter. Um, She's five years old now and she's beautiful, but it was not a hard decision for my sister because she knew that my mom wouldn't put her through what my Lola put my mom through. And so it was, I think, 
kind of the generational shift is what I talk about, is that um, what is easily a culture of death in our family and historically with Filipinos, um, it, it was changed. It, it ceased. That, that kind of culture of death ceased with me and my sisters, which is really cool. What I loved about it, uh, at, at this point in your talk, you started talking about just that reality that this isn't just about saying, well, I'm for this position or I'm for that position. This is about being ready to step into the gap with love. And, you know, the, the judgment is not what's called for and hatred is not what's called for. Your sister needed love. And, and you said something very beautiful about uh, your realization about your father at that point, too, that, that he needed forgiveness, and it, it wasn't a time to withhold from mm-hmm. that. Yeah, definitely. It was whenever I, I mean, I didn't meet my biological father till 22, and so that was its own wound. But when I found out that he had an abortion after leaving my mom for not having an abortion, it could have easily been a moment of anger, and I had already so much anger towards him for so long in my life, but um, I was starting to forgive him. And I think when you encounter the divine mercy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, then you can pour it out, too. And I knew that I needed to love my father in his brokenness and his woundedness, and I knew that he was sorry for it. Um, And I was just filled with compassion for him when he told me about his abortion. Now, every year in January, we think about events such as today and the, the many who are on buses out to Washington, D.C., to our nation's capital. And the time, I, you know, I, I forget how many hours on a bus I've logged. And these <laughs> events are great and they're, they're absolutely wonderful. But this is the extraordinary and we're called to live in the ordinary. And that was something else you highlighted. And I loved the analogy you used talking about the Cajun Navy back in the hurricanes in New Orleans and then later in Baton Rouge, that there were people stranded and they were surrounded by floodwaters. And so here come the boat owners. You know, the only thing that qualified them was they had a boat. It didn't matter how big the boat was. It didn't matter how little the boat was. If the boat floats and gets from A to B, they were there. And you said they rescued thousands of people. I love the analogy. What's your hope that people were taking away from that in regards to the pro-life movement? A culture of life, building a culture of life is has a sense of urgency. I think that was my number one point is that a lot of times we kind of theorize about what's the best method, what we need to do, and it's good to be effective and to care about being effective and to do things with excellence. I also care about excellence. Um, however, sometimes it, it holds us back from actually serving and helping the people in need right now. It's a state of crisis like a flood, like a hurricane. It's a state of crisis, and so people helped win immediately immediately they helped. And that second point that I made with that uh, analogy is that you said you said it already. They, they had a boat. We all have different resources and we don't need to sit there comparing, you know, that guy has a yacht. I have a P-Rogue. I have a fan boat. I don't know. It doesn't matter what your boat looks like. You know, it doesn't matter if your boat can hold 50 people or, or 10 people or over two people, but because the hundreds saved the thousands. And I think it's very important that when we all do our part, that we can really do that to build a culture of life. We can save thousands. We can save millions. I'd like to wrap up somewhat where you wrapped up as well, talking about some saints that are great examples for us. And of the four you gave us, um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, what a beautiful testament that we're all familiar with. St. John Paul II, speaking so much for the culture of life and the dignity of life. St. Maximilian Colby, a great example. But St. Catherine Drexel, a saint that we don't hear about too often. And, and uh, let's bring her to the forefront now. She She saw a need, and she wrote to the Pope and said, Holy Father, there's a need. Please send someone. And I didn't know that, and I love his response. 
Yeah, the Pope, Pope Leo XIII, he said, well, why don't you be a missionary yourself? And she had already been doing a lot of charitable efforts with her family. She was raised in a very Catholic family and a very wealthy, well-to-do family. And so she used her resources. Wow. And I think that's the, a great lesson you bring for us. Instead of saying, well, all right, who, who can we send? You know, there's got to be someone around here we can send. The, the calling is, no, it, it's us. Why can't it be us? And what a great message you had for the teens gathered here today. Krista, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us here on Roadmap to Heaven. It's been an absolute joy to meet you and to hear your talk and hear your testimony. And thank you again for being with us. If our listeners would like to know more about you, where can they go? They can follow me at Krista Corbello or my ministry, Even This Way, which is um, for sibling survivors of abortion, those who had a sibling who died by abortion. And I'm on on websites and (laughs) social media too. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. The Holy Face. O blessed face of my kind Savior, by the tender love and piercing sorrow of Our Lady, as she beheld you in your cruel passion, grant us to share in this intense sorrow and love, so as to fulfill the holy will of God to the utmost of our ability. Amen. Welcome back to a new week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. With us, as always, is Patty Schneider. Well, this week I decided to just pick a saint. Sometimes I just think, who can we get to know better? And this week we will be celebrating the feast of St. Francis de Sales. His feast day is January 24th. So I decided, let's talk about him this week and what can we learn from him? And boy, what a treasure chest in just researching St. Francis de Sales. So today, as we begin our week diving into this wonderful saint, I thought it would be good to just talk about who he was and introduce our listeners, everyone, to who this man was. So it's a little bit of a biography, but bear with me. He was born in 1567. So think about that time frame. That's after the Reformation, when a lot of things are going on in the world, a lot of wars and a lot of uh, conflict was going on. He studied in Paris. He became a doctor of law by the age of 24. He was offered a seat in the Senate and was one of the most eligible bachelors among the young nobility in France at the time. His father planned a distinguished marriage for him, but he declined and he became a zealous priest working among Calvinists and eventually becoming Bishop of Geneva. He was the spiritual director of a prominent widow named Jane Francis de Chantal, and together they founded the Order of the Visitation. Out of conversations with people of his diocese asking for spiritual direction grew his book, The Introduction to a Devout Life, which is a great spiritual classic, as well as his treatise on the love of God. He was one of the first to open the gates of the idea of holiness for everyone. And at the time, his teaching on holiness for everyone was so novel that his books were banned from many pulpits. However, after his death in 1622, he was canonized within 40 years and is the patron saint of the Catholic press. I love that he was one of the first to write and preach about the universal call to holiness. But today, I want to comment on his patronage of the Catholic press. Do we realize how we have the world's library at our fingertips? Are we reading great Catholic classics? Do we appreciate good Catholic books? Do we support Catholic bookstores? Do we read our diocesan newspaper cover to cover every week and do we support it? Today, I want to encourage everyone to pray for those who work in the Catholic press. Their job is not easy. So pick up a great book 
or read the Catholic newspaper today and be grateful for it. Having grown up in St. Francis of Assisi Parish, I always thought that St. Francis was St. Francis of Assisi. I didn't know there was another one until I was introduced to St. Francis de Sales. And I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to this week because everything I've come to know about St. Francis de Sales has been fantastic. All right, as we wrap up today, a couple things I want to put on your radar screen here on Roadmap to Heaven. Let's go in reverse order here. Let's let's work out from far away. In May, save this date, the weekend of May 19th through the 21st, it's the 24th annual St. Louis Marian Conference. Be not afraid, am I not here who am your mother? Wonderful words of Our Lady to St. Juan Diego. Uh, the conference, again, at the Renaissance Grand Hotel uh, by the airport. And I, I want to make sure that I have that correct there. Um, of course, now that I say that, I'm going to have second doubts about it. But if you go to STLMC, I know it's an airport hotel right up there by Lambert St. Louis Airport. If you go to STLMC.org, they've got all the information. Listen to some of the speakers lined up for this. Father Bill Casey, who you've heard on our airwaves. Father Mitch Pacwa, who you hear on our airwaves. Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. I don't know that you've heard him on our airwaves, but I've heard really good things about him. Monsignor Eugene Morris, who you've heard on our airwaves. Dr. Ray Garendi, who you hear on our airwaves. Jesse Romero, the same. Zipra Zeppa, the same. Patty Schneier, and again, music from Annie Cardo, Donna Corey, and Matthew Bowdy. So what a wonderful weekend that will be. I am really looking forward to that. For our friends in the Alton, Illinois area, don't forget that Jason Everett is going to be there in February for a double feature retreat event. It is a ticketed event on February 6th at St. Mary's in Alton, I believe. But for more information, just go to chastity.com. You can either scroll down until you find the calendar of upcoming events or right at the top of the page, you can click events. So again, chastity.com for that Jason Everett event coming to Alton in February. And I hear in uh, March coming to West St. Louis County. We'll have more on that for you later. And then finally, for all the men listening, I am happy to say that I'm going to be with you at the Catholic Men for Christ Conference on Saturday, February 18th. The theme this year, Transformed Men After God's Own Heart. Hector Molina, Deacon James Keating, Marcel Lejean, and Archbishop Rosansky will be speaking. Archbishop Rosansky offering Holy Mass for us. I'll be your MC for the day. It's going to be a wonderful day, so join us for that. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son. Oh, actually, before we pray, catholicmenforchrist.org, catholicmenforchrist.org. Now let's pray without distraction. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father Jeffrey Kirby is going to be with us tomorrow talking about Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the scapular. And you should tune in for that one. It's going to be good. We'll have some more goodies for you as well on Roadmap to Heaven. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Keep an eye on the winter weather this week. Have those gloves ready, that ice scraper ready to go, and keep a warm heart. And as our Blessed Mother would remind you, pray your rosary each and every day.